again, happy Father's Day to everybody. Um, we're really glad you're here this morning. We are going to continue um, the sermon series that we began last week. I told you that through the summer, um, you're going to get to hear from me and from Bob through the summer. But on the weeks that you hear from me, we're going to be talking through a series that we're going to call Vertical. And we're talking about the topic of worship. And I want us to start this morning by reviewing a little bit of what we talked about last week uh, because it's very, very important. The purpose of this series is for us to be able to wrap our minds around what Scripture teaches us about what worship really is and at the same time what worship really is not because it's very easy for us even as Christians to be confused sometimes. So I want us to review. I want to go back. I don't know if any of you remember from last week. I'm not going to throw it up on the screen, but if you remember the definition that we're going to use as the building foundation for everything that we talk about in worship, and it's this. Worship is focusing our mind's attention and our heart's affection on God in response to who He is and what He's done. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Focusing our mind's attention and our heart's affection on God in response to who He is and what He's done. And the key word, one of the key words in that, there's lots of key words in that definition. Heart and mind are one of or key words, but also the word response. Worship is a response of our heart and our mind simultaneously together to who God is, to what he's done and what he is actively doing in our lives and in the world. And with this as our foundation, this morning we're going to look at another important instruction from Jesus about worship. And we're going to look at the kind of worship that God desires. You understand that there are types of things that we call worship that God doesn't call worship. And there are types of worship that God says, if you really want to bring a sacrifice, an offering of worship to me, this is the way I like it. And God has the right to be able to say what kind of worship he likes and what he doesn't like because he is the one we worship, right? And he is God over everything, so he has authority to, over everything. So he gets to say what's good and what's bad. Since it's Father's Day, I think... Dads and moms alike will identify with me on this before we dive into the text. Um, parenting is tough. And as we try to parent our kids, a lot of what we do is try to correct our children when they make mistakes. And our kids do things wrong. We did stuff wrong when we were kids growing up. But here's something that you may have said to your kids before. It's not just what you say. It's how you say it. Okay, I'm getting some nods. You know what I'm talking about. Um, like, for instance, your kid does something wrong. You, you catch them, you call them on it, and they say the words, I'm sorry. Well, there's lots of different ways you can say, I'm sorry. And they don't all mean the same thing. Um, sometimes, I'm sorry means, okay, I get it. You're mad. I did something wrong. Can I please just say I'm sorry so that we can stop talking about this and, and you know, just take whatever. It, 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 sometimes that's what I'm sorry means. 
Like, can, we, can you just stop talking? <laughs> I'm, I, I get it. You're mad. Shouldn't have done it. Okay, just do whatever you got to do, and let's quit talking about it. But then occasionally we might experience what we would call a sincere apology. And I'm sorry can also mean I understand what I did and I understand why it was wrong and I really wish I had never done that. And it was a really bad choice and I don't ever want to do it again and I really, really want you to forgive me. Like that's, that's closer to what we're looking for, right parents? Not, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, like tell your brother you're sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, that, that it, means, it can mean all sorts of different things. The same words, right? But they mean completely different things. We're going to look in John chapter 4. And this, this story that we're going to look at just a piece of is such a rich story. We could spend weeks talking about this one encounter that Jesus has. But, but we're going to try to pinpoint one specific part of it this morning. If you'll turn to John chapter 4, you'll find the story of Jesus and his encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well. And there's one particular piece we're going to look at. We're going to start in verse 19. And Jesus and this woman have already had a conversation. Um, but, but we're going to look at this one particular place. So beginning in verse 19, I'm going to read to you from the NIV. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, the Samaritan woman asks Jesus a question at the very beginning of this. After they've already had a very personal conversation. Jesus has already met this woman, had an encounter with her. They have already discussed her life her sin, and Jesus has offered her forgiveness and new life. And so as a part of that conversation, that part of the conversation would be a whole other sermon series that we could talk about. Uh, but for the purpose of what we're discussing today and next Sunday, we're actually going to be focusing on the same text and the same words of Jesus regarding worship. First, I want you to look at verse 19. And what she, when she says, I see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She asked Jesus the question about where is the right location for us to worship? Where, where is the right place? And that's a valid question for her. That's a valid question for her in this time. 
Uh, and I want to tell you the reason for her question. Like, why would she ask a question like that? Um, Jews and Samaritans had very different views and interpretations of the scriptures of the Old Testament. Both of them, what they had in common was that they both believed and understood that the Lord had told the people in Deuteronomy and said that he would choose a place to be what he called the dwelling place. That they were instructed to bring their offerings and sacrifices of worship to. You can find this, it's in Deuteronomy 12, Deuteronomy 16, and Deuteronomy 26. In all of those places, God says, there is a place that I will determine, that I will declare to be the dwelling place of my name. This is where you are to come when you bring your offerings and sacrifices of worship. But the difference between Jews and Samaritans was that the Samaritans only accepted the Torah. And the Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament, the books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. All of the prophets after that, Samaritans didn't recognize as the word of God. And so, because they only recognized those first five books, they chose this particular place, Mount Gerizim. Because it was near the place where Abraham had first built an altar to God. So this was the place that they, based on their readings of the scriptures that they accepted, this was the place that they determined that they should worship. The Jews, however, accepted the entire revelation of God in the Old Testament. And they recognized that later in 2 Chronicles, God said that Jerusalem would be the place that he was to be worshipped. It would be the place that God had chosen. And so there was a contention between Jews and Samaritans as to where is the right place that God says that we should worship. The Jews say it's in Jerusalem. The Samaritans say it's in Mount Gerizim. Where, where is it? And, and they would constantly argue about it. Does it sound familiar? Don't we, even today in the church, we have discussions and, and arguments about, well, what's the right, and maybe it's not the right place, but we, it, it, like we said last week, we have discussions. Maybe it's not what place should we worship, but um, what songs should we sing when we worship? What clothes should we wear when we worship? What, um, you know, what time of day should we worship? How many times a day should we worship? All of these, all of these questions, and some people get really, get really fired up over the, what they, what their interpretations are, and sometimes it causes contention. And so this is this is what's happening between the Jews and the Samaritans. And so Jesus explains to her. Um, first of all, he he says he actually tells her, "Well, the Jews have it right." And it was because that they had believed the entire revelation of God in the, in the Old Testament. That's why it's so important that we understand the full counsel of God in all of Scripture. Because if you just choose part of it to say, well, I, I believe this part. I don't believe the other part. You're going to miss something. You're not going to see God in his fullness. And so they had done that. And, he, and Jesus explains that. But then he says in verse 21. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. 
Now, this was the beginning of Jesus. Jesus was bringing in the new covenant, and he was trying to explain to her that the, coven, the old covenant of worship had a particular place that God said, you come to Jerusalem, this is where my presence will dwell, this is where you will come to worship. But under Jesus, under the new covenant, Jesus says, there's a day coming when it, you're not going to worship God here, or you're not going to worship God in Jerusalem. Basically, he says, there isn't any particular place that you're going to go to worship. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter. Jesus literally says to her, it doesn't matter. That, that's, a, that's a question that, that doesn't even matter anymore. The new covenant, which Jesus was bringing in, and, and that's the covenant that we live under now, said, Jesus was saying that external places, external rituals, external buildings, and ceremonies all become obsolete in the new covenant. All of those things are, are as useful as that old Zach Morris flip phone that's in the drawer of your house. Like, it's, it's obsolete now. There's no, um, there's, it's, it's so much far beyond that. And I want you to think of the imagery that when Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished. You remember the scriptures say that the veil in the temple was ripped and it was ripped from the very top where nobody could reach. And it started there and it ripped all the way down. And that was God saying that there's no longer anything separating my people from the Holy of Holies to come into my presence. It symbolized that there's no longer a need to travel to a particular place to be in the presence of God in worship. God, when he ripped that, temp, that veil in the temple, what he was saying is the whole earth is full of my glory. And now because of the sacrifice my son has made for you, you can come into my presence anywhere, anytime. It, it, there's no... Where do we go? Do we have to come? And, and what we have to be really, really careful of is that we don't fool ourselves into thinking that the presence of God just dwells in these four walls here when you come to church. Jesus says there, my presence, the presence of the Father to be worshipped isn't, isn't in four walls anymore. That veil was ripped. There's no, there's no boundaries to our worship anymore. Jesus is trying to move her focus from the external to the internal. Do you see? He's trying, to, he's, trying to get her, he's trying to change her way of thinking. Her mind is, where's the right place? What's the right rituals? What are the right things that we're supposed to do? And Jesus says, no, no, no. Everything is changing now. It's not about any of that stuff. It's, it's about what's on the inside. It's about what you have to bring to God in worship. So then he takes it a step further, if we look at verse 23. And he, and he gives us like that question of, well, what kind of worship does God want? Jesus answers it in verse 23. Yet a time is coming and has now come. Jesus says, it's been coming, but now because I'm here, that time is here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship 
in the spirit, and in truth. So you say, you mean there's a particular kind of worshiper that God is looking for? Yep. You know what that also implies? That also means that there's a type of worshiper that God doesn't regard at all. And we'll talk about that later on in the series. Who, what's the kind of worship that God doesn't care anything about? And we'll cover that a little later. But I hope that when you come into this place, as we talk about worship on Sundays, when you come into this place, you're desiring to be the type of worshiper that God is seeking. I hope that's your desire when you come in here. And I'm afraid too often that when we come into this house desiring to be a worshiper, we have more of our minds focused on being the type of worshipers that we want to be rather than being the type of worshipers that God says he wants. That's why our preference is such a big deal to us. When we come in here so wrapped up in our preferences, me included, I'm making worship more about what I want than what God says he wants. What do you think would happen? Just rhetorical question. What do you think would happen in this place if we put less focus on our own preferences and more focus on God's preferences? Instead of coming to church looking for what we wanted to get out of worship, what if we entered into this place asking God what he wants out of us from our worship? That's where we're missing it. It's not, I'm not a performer for you. I'm just not. Dan is not a performer for you. The choir is not a performer for you. Our job in worship is not to entertain you. It's not to create a particular kind of feeling in you. Our goal is to steer your mind's attention and your heart's affection toward God. And then when worship happens, it comes out of you. Worship doesn't come off of this platform into you, and then you experience worship. Worship starts inside of you, and then it comes out. Because it's your response. You can't worship with my response. And I can't worship with your response to God because your response is your response to what God is doing in your world. My response is my response to what he's doing in my world. And they may be two completely different things, but we're both worshiping in the same spirit. And so Jesus says that true worshipers seek him worship two ways, in the spirit and in truth. So next week we're going to talk about what it means to worship in truth. All right. So we're going to set that aside. We're going to do that next week. But today I want us to think about when Jesus says spirit. And it's, and it's not hard to understand what Jesus is talking about. He's already redirecting our thinking from external things. Buildings, rituals, places, songs, ceremonies. Directing us toward... The understanding that worship comes out of us rather than 
from an exterior place into us. So if Jesus says that God is spirit, so he must be worshipped in spirit or in the spirit. And this describes God's nature. He isn't physical like we are. Colossians 1.5 says that God is the invisible God, it calls him. 1 Timothy 6.16 says that he lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. So Jesus, what he says here makes sense. How do we think that we can worship an unseen God whose essence is spirit with material things? It's sort of the difference, I, I, you know, I, I thought about doing a science experiment, but I thought, oh, no, I don't want to do that. But it's almost like if you were to take, if I had a glass of water up here, and I were to take, um, like, some of that liquid squirty stuff that, you know, you put in your water at restaurants to make it taste better, you know what I'm talking about? And you squirted that stuff in there, or you put food coloring in the water. What's the water and the food coloring going to do? They're going to kind of mix up together, right? Because they're both what? Science people. They're both liquids. So because they're both liquids, they combine and they come together. If I had a glass of water and I took a Lego brick and dropped it in the water, is, is there any coming together of the Lego brick in the water? No. Why? Because one is a solid and one is a liquid. Why do we think that in worship we can take a physical Lego brick and worship a God who is spirit? Like the water. Like there's no, there's, there's no way those two are going to combine and come together. If we want to worship God who is spirit... We have to come to him in worship in spirit, like liquid and liquid. And when you mix those two together, then you've got something. Then you start making something. You see what I'm saying? There's, there, there are two different things. And remember our, our definition, focusing our heart's affection. That When Jesus says that you worship in the spirit, that's the heart's affection part of the definition that we're using. Our heart's affection, there's nothing physical, there's nothing tangible that we can put our hands on about the affection of your heart. That's what we offer to God and we worship in spirit. You can come into the most elaborate building, hear the most artistic expression of music, the most articulate speaker and recite the most beautiful prayers and never worship God the way he wants to be worshipped. Never. And the sad fact is there are thousands and thousands all over the country in churches all over the world every Sunday in this place. People come in and out and never experience worship. 
You know why? Because they're dependent on all of this physical stuff to make it happen. They're dependent upon me or Dan or the choir or the music or the musicians or that's all external. Jesus says you worship me in in your in spirit from the inside out. However, all of those things, all those external things that we talked about can also be elements of the most intimate, real worship that you've ever experienced. So it's not that the external things that we're talking about are useless. Of course they're useful. The difference is, where's your heart? Jesus says, where is your, what is your spirit? How is your spirit interacting with me in worship? I can sing the songs to the top of my lungs and my spirit is being poured out to the Lord. And at the same time, I can come over here and sing a song to the top of my lungs. And if there's not worship coming from inside of me out, then I'm just singing. I might as well be driving down the street singing country music on the radio. Like there's, there's no more worship to that. It's all the, your heart. How impressed are you with someone's words and actions when you know they don't really mean it? What about when someone says the right words to you, but there isn't any heartfelt sincerity behind it? I mean, you know what that feels like. I know what that feels like. So if it's easy enough for us to figure that out, just in our everyday interactions with people in our relationships with each other how much easier do you think it is for God to know the state of our hearts when we come into worship before him whether it's here or whether it's anywhere because Jesus has already said you don't just have to come into this place to worship me you may even lift your hand but sometimes we're just lifting our hands doing that stuff so that other people look at us. And maybe they'll think we have it together a little bit more than we do because we really don't know what we're doing. But we want to look like we do. So we... The external is just that. It's only external. But can the internal overflow out into the external? Absolutely. That's why it's not our job to look at one another and judge each other's worship because all we can see is the external but Jesus says the real worshipers are the ones who are worshiping me in their spirit from their heart hmm. so you remember what we tell our kids and we'll end with the same thing we began with it's not what you say it's how you say it <laughs>